What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and we are finishing up the month talking about student debt. And today's topic is all about refinancing student debt. And of course, I brought on the expert that has been on all month talking about student debt and hoping that has been very helpful for all of you that have student debt, or maybe you know someone who has student debt and you can point them the direction of the show. And before we keep going, let's hear from today's sponsor, which is locumstory.com. Have you ever considered a different way of practicing medicine, whether you're burned out or you need to change a pace or looking to supplement your income? Locum Tenens might be a solution for you. And if you're not sure where to start, highly recommend you check out locumstory.com. They're a place where you can get real unbiased answers to your questions. What is Locum Tenens? To more complex questions about pay ranges, taxes, various specialties, and how Locum Tenens can actually work for you. So go to locumstory.com or you can check them out drpodcastnetwork.com slash locumstory. And you can get all those answers and probably a whole lot more. And of course, the link is in the description of the podcast player you're listening to us in right now. All right, like everything we do here at Financial Residency, this is not specific financial planning, investment, or student debt advice. This is helpful tips, tricks, things to get you to learn a little bit more about personal finance. Hopefully you didn't fast forward through that part because it's really important, but don't worry because I'll tell you at the end as well. All right, let's bring on our special guest. Hello, Ryan. Joy, what's going on? Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, it's always great to be with you. And thanks for that great reminder on the top. Hey, it's super important. And for the month to talk about student debt, and I'm excited to talk about refinancing because we see a lot of this where it's, well, I don't know if I should do PSLF. I don't know if I should refinance. I don't know how to figure out the numbers. You know, there's a lot of math that's involved and normally physicians love numbers and math. Not all of you, but some of you, majority of you, but it still gets a little confusing when we're talking about the interest and how much and what's the break evens and all that fun stuff. But I thought today, you know what, let's nerd down on this a little bit. And for those that are trying to figure out if they should refinance or not, I know you've got a cool little story for them and then we can kind of take it from there. Love it. Could we start with a PSA? Of course. Like you, when I talk to physicians that are thinking about their student loans, for many, there's often a sense of lack of clarity on some of the jargon. So let's just start there. So if you are thinking about a refinance and you've also heard the term consolidation, those two things can be similar or they can be very different. So if you are planning or hoping to pursue the public service loan forgiveness track, You might think about consolidating your federal direct loans into one or two federal direct consolidation loans. And at that point, they will continue to be eligible for public service loan forgiveness. However, if you refinance those loans, meaning basically you sell your loans to another financial institution, they pay off your current federal loan, and they give you a new loan at a new term and a new rate, those loans will never again, ever, ever, ever be eligible for public service loan forgiveness. So refinance and consolidation can be two very different things and make sure you're careful when you're thinking about those. Absolutely. The other thing to remember about direct consolidation loans is if you've already made some payments towards PSLF and you consolidate at that point, what happens, Ryan? Oh, your loans restart. You don't want to do that. That's a big no-no. Total back to zero on the number of qualifying payments. And then the last thing about refinance and well around consolidation is that if you are a borrower who has adult children and you have helped your adult children with some student loans, you then have parent plus loans. That's a very unique situation, but there are a number of physicians that are in that position. 
at that case, you want to be very careful about which loans you consolidate into a direct consolidation loan. Definitely want to get some help on that one. I would say if that is you or anyone you know, you really need to hire someone who handles that stuff all the time because that is some really tricky stuff and you can get into a big giant mess that you will not want to be in. So be careful with that. But I love the PSAs in the beginning because like we've talked about a ton on the show this month and for the last literally four years, student debt is a big burden and a huge weight on all of your shoulders. It was on our family as well. And you want to make sure that you're doing the right stuff and then you have the right plan. And that if you are going to leave PSLF, you better make dang sure that you are 100% positive that there is no chance that you will want to go back. Because once you're out, there's no going back on this one. So be very, very, very careful with that stuff. Amen. What kind of story do you have for us today around refinance? Hey, we've got Dr. Sue and Dave. I love it. Real people, not the real name. So here's the deal. Dr. Sue came to us. She had $460,000 in direct student loans. We always crunch the numbers, give her her options. She looks at the data. The data really drives the decision. And her original plan was to use the income-based repayment plan, file her taxes, married filing separately, and pursue public service loan forgiveness. All right. Her income was about $200,000. Her spouse was making about one thirty, dollars And the spouse had no student loans. So she was excited about this, totally understood, got all of her ducks in a row, ready to go, did her annual recertifications and sent in her employer certification form for PSLF. Just last week, Ryan, when I was getting ready for this podcast, she called me back and she's had a change of plans. And there is good news and bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? I love good news. All right. She got this amazing job offer for more money fewer hours. Wow. I'm a fan of that. Sounds good. I know what the bad news is coming, I bet. (laughs) The bad news is it is not a qualifying employer for public service loan forgiveness. That's a bummer. Now some math comes involved because this is like the borderline and I talk generic, like no specific guidance, but usually I say when your debt is one-to-one equal to your income. So if you're making 200 and your debt is 200 or less, PSLF might not make sense by the time you get there and all the math and then the hassle. And when you're 2X and over, it almost always works out. But when you're close to that 2X, it might not. So I'm curious to see where this went because they're right at that kind of cusp. Exactly. Good job making more money in less hours. Right. And very happy. This is a private practice. She was just thrilled with the opportunity. And what was happening was they were starting to have kids. And so she really wanted to have fewer hours. And that really was the driver in this decision. And you work with physicians and their families all the time. Sometimes the money will drive a decision. Sometimes things other than money will drive the decision. And in this case, they were decided that they wanted to take this new job and they just wanted help to figure out, okay, so what are we going to do about our loans now? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, hey, plans changed. We can't go for PSLF right? Because you said that wasn't a 501c3. It's a private clinic. Now they're going, huh, do we refinance? What do we do? I'm curious. How did this start to play out? There's a couple options, right? There are a couple of options. So the two basic options, let's talk about them. You could remain, leave your loans in the federal government's programs. Revised pay-as-you-earn is often one of those programs that we see people using, especially on the front end of the career when incomes are less And they can benefit from the income subsidy every month where the government pays half of the accrued unpaid interest for you every month. 
The other thing we see people using is an income-driven repayment plan over a long term, 20 or 25 years, to benefit from the cancellation at the end that is also taxable. And then the third thing people think about is a private refinance. Really quick, I want to interrupt the last little piece there because we talk a lot about PSLF and how when you get your loans forgiven, it's not taxable. There's no tax bomb at the end. But when you go through like pay or repay in 20 or 25 years down the road and you're going to get 100K, 200K, 300K, whatever it is forgiven, you will owe tax on that money. So you have to plan appropriately. When do you have to pay that tax? Like all the way along? No, you pay it right at the end. Giant lump sum. Totally. It's as if your income all of a sudden was $300,000 more that year. It's awful. Surprise. Oh, crying. Heads up. We want to make sure we're giving you lots of heads ups as you go through this. And for those that have listened, you kind of know the drill on a lot of the student debt pieces. But for those that are new, that is a thing. Unfortunately, we're not joking. It's not April Fool's. I wish it was. And so the third option, I interrupted you rudely, but I wanted to make sure we hit that point clearly. But what was the third option? Well, let me interrupt you again and go back to our last point. Um, If that is you and you are pursuing the 20 or 25 year loan cancellation, you've got to work with someone on how to save money for that tax bomb. That's something hard to come up with a lot of money at the very end, but all the way along, if it's part of your overall financial plan, you can be in really good shape. And this can be, we've seen it be a fabulous option for folks all across the country. So back to the refinance. So what we did And this is what we always do is we crunch the numbers because we believe that data drives the decisions and it becomes pretty clear once you look at the numbers, what your best options are going to be. And so right away, it became very clear at her interest rate at 6.65% that holding these for a long time was going to be financially a no-go because she was going to end up owing over a million dollars is what she'd pay at the end, including all payments on the principal and interest plus the tax bomb. She was not interested in that option. I wouldn't be either. (laughs) So instead we looked at some refinance. If you have a pencil and paper, if you're old school, if you're listening to this, write these numbers down. So her current option would be 6.565% over 10 years, leaving them with the federal government. She'd pay 5,200 bucks a month. And over 10 years, she'd pay a total of $630,000 on her student loans. And the loan started at 460. Yeah. Yeah, they did. So that's pretty high interest. Yeah, it's a lot of interest. You're paying about 170000 in interest by not touching it. Yeah, I remember Taylor's loans, the weighted average was almost 7%. Right. Oh, these are high interest rates. Adds up fast. Yeah, everyone gets education. You're just going to pay a lot for it. And hopefully as little as possible on the back yeah. end. That's why we're here, right? So then she had two other options she wanted to look at. One was, and we used a 3% interest rate for the refinance. Right now, interest rates, they're low. I know, Ryan, you have seen some really low rates. Yep. But that's paying them off real fast too. Like we're not seeing a super low rate in a 10 or 15 year, seeing them in the fives. And we're also seeing some in the threes and fours. And so for her calculations, we used a 3% interest rate. And she wanted to see how much would it cost me over 10 years and how much would it cost me to pay these off over 20 years? Because she had heard that it might be smart to pay less for a longer period of time at a lower interest rate because maybe she could start saving for retirement sooner. Mm. I'm curious. Let's just put that in the parking lot and we might come back to that question for you at the end of the conversation. Deal. Thank you. And so if she was paying over 10 years, her monthly payment would be 4400 
and she'd pay a total of $530,000 on her student loans. Yeah. By refinancing, she saves a hundred K. This is a no brainer right here. <laughs> exactly. And the payments look at hundred dollars less a month, which is nice. Okay. Then she looked at the 20 year term, same interest rate, 20 year term, monthly payments of 2,500 and the overall amount she'll pay is 610,000. So she's saving $1,900 a month compared to the no brainer, right? Option one is a joke, right? So yes. she's going to save a good amount of the monthly payment, but she's going to pay 80K more and have her loans for 10 more years, a total of 20 years. Right. Her kids might be in school, but and she's still paying off her loans. Most people don't like that. No, because then we're going to look at it and go, why would you save for your kid's education when you still have debt on your own and you need to look at potentially paying more for that? And the rates wouldn't technically be the same, but for the exercise, of course, that makes sense. So how did this work out? As she's walking through, obviously she's seeing, oh, hey, I should probably do option two, but totally. how did that work? Her plan is to take the 20-year term and pay it at the 10-year term amount. Okay. Hedging her bet kind of deal? Exactly. Because she's, what if I have a cash flow shortage (laughs) or what if I'm not working or life happens? So there is a risk at that. Because what was the number you said? It was $80,000 or $60,000 additional interest will accrue under the 20-year term? It was about another $80,000. Yeah. So that's the risk. That's serious money, $80,000. However, if she's able to stick to the 10-year payment amount, she will be done at the same 10-year term and she will pay that five thirty. dollars It really depends on maybe a person's personality, how they manage money, if they have any help, like with their overall financial planning and they've put together like a spending plan and how much is going where. This was the plan that they're going forward on. And so then her next steps would be to shop for interest rates. Mm -hmm. So now she's got her plan. Now she's figuring out like, what kind of interest rate am I going to see? So we typically send people to Credible. I wonder if we have a link for Credible. Yeah, we do. Oh, you're so clever. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, financialresidency.com slash Credible, C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E. And if you have over $100,000 in loans that you were to refinance, again, all the, remember the disclaimer in the beginning that if you're going for PSLF or could, don't do this. But if you refinance over $100,000, Credible is cool enough to give financial residency listeners $750. Whoa, that's a lot of money. I know. It's kind of nice. That's the most I've ever seen. Yeah, 750 bucks. So if you were to click through or, or to type that in financialresidency.com slash credible, they will give you $750 just credited towards your loan, whatever you end up refinancing. If you're under 100K, I believe it's $200, which is still cool. But unfortunately, most of the people that we work with, most of the people that we know, including my own wife, were way over 100K for their medical student debt. Very cool. What I love about Credible, in addition to getting that money back, that 750, which is super, is that it's a great place to compare rates in a really easy way. You put your information in once, you get lots of offers back. You'll get variable rate offers, fixed rate offers. You'll have a five-year term, a 10-year term or longer. And you just look to see which one is going to meet your plan best, right? And they'll talk about how much you're going to pay over the term. And it's all very clear and very easy and it doesn't take very long. The other nice thing about Credible is it doesn't ding your credit score. All of these are soft credit polls. And so you can get some nice information about a tentative rate without having to have an impact on your credit score. Yeah. And big fan because I treat like the kayak of student debt. So I think the last percentage I saw was about 82% of the total student debt refinance market was on their platform. So if you're like, hey, I don't have a ton of time 
and I just want to go one place, like you're going to get quotes from the big players, SoFi, all the way down to some of the smaller players in the space. And I'm a huge fan of what they do. But again, that PSA coming back, like if you are going for PSLF or potentially could go, please do not refinance your loans. If you've already refinanced your debt, it does not hurt you to do it again. It's not like a one time and done thing. So you can go back and check rates and if rates have lowered or you want additional sign-on bonuses like that 750 bucks, <laughs> you can do that. Uh, it's pretty neat. They don't mind it at all because they want your business. And you guys, to be honest, 95% of you are fantastic borrowers that are going to pay your debts on time. I wish it was 100%, but we know that's probably not completely accurate. But the banks love you. All the refinance companies, they love you. You're a doctor. You're good for it. You're used to debt. They know this. And that's why you guys get decent rates compared to other professions. And I would say, make sure you check your rates. If you are already in the private debt market, check your rates often. It, it doesn't hurt, Joyce said. Absolutely. That is one of the things we sometimes hear is people don't realize they can do that. I think there used to be legal language in the federal rules that said you can't consolidate twice. And so somehow people still have that in the back of their mind. And then they think that might apply to private loans, but that's not true. You can always refinance again on the private market. The government's different in everything that they do. So don't go by what the federal student loan statutes might say. The refinance market and the private market, they all want your business. Good. And they'll get paid because you're paying them the interest. And so there's no upfront fees either, which is also very nice. Yeah, there's no upfront fees. So the platforms, they're going to earn money from the bank that's actually lending the money. They'll get a servicing fee for that. You will not get dinged or billed or anything for that. It's all baked into the rate that they offer you and duration in, in your payment that the bank is going to receive interest. And so they've got it pre-done with these servicers. And to pay that out, you won't pay an extra penny. And they're paying you for your business. That's where that $750 comes into play. Beautiful. So listeners, I'm going to flip the script on the podcast here, if it's okay with you, Ryan. Uh-oh. There are some questions that I always get when we're talking about refinance. I'm a former financial advisor, but I no longer am. I just do student loans. And these are perfect financial advisor questions. And so I'd like to tee them up and I'd love to get your opinion on them. I think we can make that happen. All right. Perfect. Thank you. So here's the first one. A lot of times when people are thinking about refinancing their student loans, they're also thinking about buying that first house. And so then the question is, should we do the loans first or the house first? Can we do them together? Is there a strategy here? Is there a problem to avoid? How would you think about that? And what should people think about as they're going forward? Oh, yeah. By starting a family, buying a home, putting on roots, delayed gratification for gosh knows how long. Right? I remember being there. And most people are like, okay, I'm finally attending like month one, buy a home. Whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Like, and sometimes it's, hey, like I'm now a resident, I'm going to buy a home. And we really urge residents to not buy homes. I just want to say that here. doesn't mean it's bad. There's just, it's not perfect for most. For a new attending, I think putting together a financial plan is obviously very important and putting together a cash flow plan. Like we've hinted at like how much can you afford and what does that look like? But when we're talking about specifically student debt, buying a home, it's most of the time of, well, you probably don't have that much money to put down and you can go get a physician mortgage and put 0% down and borrow to the max that the bank will give you. But we know what the bank is going to give you is way more than you probably can afford. And when we look at refinance student debt, you got to make sure that you're not going for 
PSLF and everything else we've chatted on. What you don't want to do is start to process a buy a home and in the middle of that process, refinance your student debt or take out a credit card or anything like that because that's going to screw up you buying a home. But I'm one of those that I want to get my ducks in order first. And I would say refinance your student debt if that was the case, especially with rates near historic lows. Even though in the mortgage market, those rates are near historic lows as well. I'm a fan of paying off debt, not taking on new debt as much. Now, I think everyone's going to say, I'm going to buy a house dummy. I'm going to take on more debt. That's cool. But I want to say, get your ducks in order first. Have some down payment. Have the right repayment plans. Be maxing out your investment accounts before you start thinking about, how can I just take on a whole bunch more debt? Well, I love that advice. Because really... Until we have the rest of the things figured out, we really don't know how much house we can afford. The realtor will tell us how much we can afford. My stepmom is one, so I'm not clowning on her or anyone else out there. But like, you guys didn't study personal finance and become like realtors. They are are experts at buying and selling homes. And the idea that they, they want to have you buy the most home that you can afford, the house of your dreams, quote unquote. I hate when they say that, but they say it all the time because they get paid on a commission on a percentage of how much the house it is you buy. If you buy a 500K house or a million dollar house, they're going to say all day long, I'd love for you to buy the million dollar house because I'll make twice as much by doing the same amount of work. So remember who's giving you advice, right? They're compensated that way. The bank wants to lend out as much money as they can to really high qualified, sturdy, safe borrowers, which is pretty much all of you. And they're really willing to give you a whole loan program that allows you to pay no PMI. They love, so they're going to try to give you as big a loan as you can, which increases your payment. So just be really careful with the people who are telling you what you can and can't do or what you should and shouldn't do. Just realize how they're compensated. Very good. Thank you. We talked earlier about interest rates. And I'm just wondering if you happen to have a crystal ball and you can tell us what are you thinking might be happening with interest rates in the short term and the long term. My crystal ball is in the back there. It's broken. So I will have to go with this cloudy one over here. Look, we don't know what the stock market's going to do. We, on a day-to-day basis, month-to-month, year-over-year, and over a long decade-to-decade, we know that it is a high probability that it will be higher than it is today. We don't know how much higher. For rates, it's the same thing. We don't know what the Fed's going to do. We don't know what the economy is going to do. We're seeing potentially a lot of inflation right now. We don't know what the Fed and how the Fed's going to react. They're saying it's transitory inflation. That means it's only going to happen for a very short period of time and then come back in line with their 2%. Is that the case? I don't know. But specifically with the student loan market, I think there's a giant kind of like heads up. They're waving the flags over here going, we need all of you borrowers to come and start taking on more debt or refinancing your debt. And most of you said, no, I'm cool, man. I'm good. Since March of 2020, I haven't needed anything. I'm at 0% of, you know, interest rate and $0 payments. Like I don't need your business. I believe that, and I'd love for you to chime in joy at the end here is I believe that come at the end of September, the Biden administration is not going to extend this $0, 0% interest. I think payments are going to come due October of 2021. And when that happens, all of you that have had federal debt that would have refinanced anyway over the last 18 months are going to go, my rate's 7% now? Well, forget that. I'm going to go refinance. Historic low rates we've seen are there because the demand is so low. And I think when the demand goes up like crazy, because all of you are going to go, oh, hey, I don't want to pay a 7% interest rate. I'm going to refinance. The demand's going to go and outpace potentially the supply and 
when that happens, the only way that things happen is prices rise. And in this case, rates will rise in the private student debt market. So if you're like, I am 100% going to refinance when rates are starting about to go up or could go up, I would say be very careful to not wait too long because I think everyone has the same idea. And when the herd has the same idea, everyone's going to get trampled. So be really careful. But again, that's my cloudy crystal ball. I like it. I like it. it. Makes total sense to me. Very logical, and from a financial perspective. Thanks for sharing that. It really means it's wrong because if it's logical, <laughs> nothing in 2020 or 2021 has pretty much been logical. Oh, you're too funny. <laughs> so true. So true. All right. So put your seatbelts on. We'll see what happens. All right. Number three. This relates back to Dr. Sue and Dave and their question about should they take out a 20-year term. And just pay that smaller amount. I think the numbers were pay 4,400 a month for 10 years or 2,500 a month for 20 years. And instead of paying the extra on their student loans, actually start saving for retirement now, given that interest rates are so low and potentially there'd be better investment returns. What do you think about that? How do you help people think about that? So without knowing them or anything more on their situation and knowing that they're probably making it, what'd you say, collectively like $350,000 or something like that. So they're making a really good salary. I know maybe she's a pediatrician or hospitalist or something. It's probably not derm or anesthesia or ortho, what just the amount that they're making. But as a household, you guys are in the top, what, probably 2% of the entire population in the U.S. in terms of salary. Obviously, that came with a lot of debt that we've been chatting on. I still believe that if they were to build a financial plan and have a cash flow plan and do all the kind of right things in the actual planning, that they could save at least 25% of that take-home pay. And that should allow them to save for retirement, max their IRAs, and do all the good stuff as opposed to spending too much on a home, buying a couple expensive cars, going on some really nice vacations, putting the kids in private school right away, or saving from their 529s like realigning the priorities in the right in the beginning to make sure that they're doing the right things first for themselves. But if I'm just strictly going to not be that crazy of a weirdo planner and dig into those details, and if I'm just looking off the top of, hey, should I take a 20-year note and pay a little bit more or should I take a 20-year note and save that money? I am a huge fan of not paying the government. I don't want to pay them a penny more than I have to. So if there is a way that you can lower your taxable burden by saving in a retirement account like a 401k or 403b, I would do that. And then the rest of it, if it's, should I pay down debt or should I invest? I always go through and make sure that you don't have any credit card debt, make sure you're paying off your medium, let's say five to 8% debts that you maybe have, and you're doing all the right things and you've got a plan put together. I'm a fan of paying off debt. So I would look at this and say, I, I probably, as long as you've got some retirement savings going and at 330K of household income, you should, then I would probably be dumping a bunch of money in the student debt. That would be probably where I would go with this. But I think trying to be realistic in this scenario that a 10-year note is not going to have the same interest rate or maybe it's similar, but not the same interest rate as a 20-year note. And so I'd want to factor in what is that difference? So if we chose the 20 year, there's also an interest rate difference in there. And to make sure that we view that as, as basically insurance, right? Let's just say that the interest was 
0.2 different thrown out number. And that equates to $100 a month in more interest being owed just because of that 10 to 20 year note term length. You would have to view that as additional insurance on what if my cash flow changes dramatically? And are you comfortable with that? Some of you be like, I don't want to pay that extra hundred bucks. That's ridiculous. That's just wasted money. Part of me agrees with that. And the other part of me says, if you are really unsure, or if you would love to start a family and want to take a pause in your career or anything else that could potentially happen, or if you already have health concerns, your parents are aging, they're going to be living in there and you you need to take care of them or who knows what the situation is. And an extra hundred bucks in student loan insurance, so to speak, might be okay. What we typically see is those that take the longer term and they're like, oh, 1900 bucks. Do you know how many cool things I could save? I could do this. I could do that. And how much they actually save, which is pretty much zero. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So that's where we come in trouble is that most of them will not actually put the $1,900 to good work. You're not talking about any of the listeners, I'm sure. It's their friends. If I am, I love you very much, but here's the tough love you need to be taught. <laughs> All right. Is don't do that. If you're going to tell yourself, I'm going to put this $1,900 to work for me to positively improve my net worth, to pay off debts or other debts, maybe credit card debts or whatever, or to invest, and you don't do it, or you know that you're not going to do it, don't screw yourself. Like just take the shorter term and pay them more money. But if you're like, no, I know myself, I will not do that. I will truly put it away. Then it might make sense. But again, everyone is different. Personal finances is personal. Personal. Thank you very much, man. It's great to hear how you think. And I really appreciate you spending scary, some time. Scary, isn't telling. it? It's very no, scary. It's terrific. I'm terrified. I'm assuming we don't have any more questions. That's it for me. All right. It's always fun to flip the script. I don't mind doing it. Thank you. Getting interviewed on my own show. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate you being here. And I think on behalf of all the listeners, they appreciate you being here and educating everyone a little bit more on student debt and hopefully making them feel a little more comfortable about the student debt. I know it's a big sore subject and it's a giant gorilla on the back, but this is important stuff. And so hopefully they learned a lot, but where can they learn more about you and what you guys do and your team does? Oh, super, Ryan. Thank you. And such a pleasure to be part of your community here. Thank you again very much for this opportunity. Our website is www.navigatestudentloans.com. And you can reach me at my email, joy at navigatestudentloans.com. And we even have a link on your website, Ryan. That's right. Financialresidency.com slash navigate. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. All right. Now let's transition over to the financial malpractice segment. Now, here's my financial horror story. It's just me today. No one else super cool coming on the show. So sorry, you got to put up with me for another one of these. But we are going to go over a really interesting financial horror story that actually surrounded themselves around between making more money and paying off student debt. So in this story, the physician had racked up about $500,000 in student debt, which is okay. That is higher than our average. Our average is three hundred, about 300000 with the clients that we work with. And the reason that this actually happened was they were in forbearance for all of residency and all of fellowship. So their amount, they originally didn't borrow that amount, But that amount, when you go into forbearance for six years, ends up growing to that amount. And this is a perfect example of the ostrich that we talk about on the show. They ended up taking a job with a nonprofit, large hospital system back east. And they were earning decent money for their specialty. 
But one of the big downsides was that their hours were terrible. Basically, it was the calls. Their call schedule was super rough and they really hated the lifestyle. But they ended up deciding to jump ship and go into private practice. And the reason that they ended up doing that was one, better hours. But two, they had, they ended up receiving 20% more pay. Now, I'm not talking that they were now making hundreds of thousands of dollars more. We're talking like 30 some thousand dollars. So it wasn't a crazy amount, still won't sneeze at 30 some thousand. But what that effectively made happen was that they were no longer eligible for PSLF. Now, if you think about they were in forbearance for six years, that was not PSLF eligible. They needed to be making their income-based repayments. They would have already been six years in at that time. And then they'd worked for this hospital system for a couple years. They might've been eight years into this right? But instead they weren't the ostrich. They weren't paying attention for fellowship and residency. They now had about two years of PSLF eligible payments under their belt. That student debt balance had gone even up higher. And now they ended up leaving and jumping ship, going to private practice to earn $30,000 more. But now they have to pay back their loans. When I was talking to them about this situation, the reason was, like I had mentioned, that they wanted to have a better work-life balance, which I totally understand. But they ended up earning money and they thought they were doing such a good job by earning more money, but it actually caused them to have to refinance their loans if they were to do that. At the time of me talking, they'd already refinanced their loans or I would have said, please don't do that. Forget that you receive 20% more pay. Actually go take a 20% pay cut even, just get better hours and allow that balance to continue to grow so you can end up having it be forgiven. Now, these payments were nearly $3,000 a month. Now, if we think back into 2020 when everything was in forbearance, that would have been about a $30,000 savings that they would not have been paying on those federal student loans. That could have been applied to something else, you know, like could have been towards other debts, anything else. Now, if we look at the amount that they were paid in difference, the amount they really earned was just a little bit more than $1,000 more per paycheck. Now they had better hours, but being out of PSLF, that really hurt them. And they refied to a 15-year repayment with a massive student loan payment that basically left them feeling student loan poor. We talk about house poor when you buy too much house. Well, they were absolutely student loan poor, and they still are because they don't have any way to get back into the program. They're stuck paying down these loans. They've really set themselves back financially big time because they ended up refinancing all this debt. They're not earning dermatology money. And sorry to throw out a specialty here. I did think of someone that was high paid. They weren't in an extremely high paying specialty. So what I want you guys to take away from here is one, PSLF is likely here to stay. We don't know anything for certain in life other than death and taxes. But PSLF is a very good bet that it will be around. We're likely to see some forgiveness options or other things or other tweaks or changes to PSLF or just student loans in general with potentially more repayment options, but that won't affect anyone that is already grandfathered in. All the new laws that were being proposed over the past few years that everyone's been really worried about, that is talking about specifically new borrowers, not borrowers that are have already borrowed the money, not borrowers that are already multiple months, years into repayment on PSLF, is talking about someone who has never borrowed a penny from the federal system. So PSLF is here to stay. I want you guys to know that. Forget all the headlines. Most of the people can't even fill out the application correct. I think that was like 55% of the reasons why the applications have been rejected. So 
I want you to take that away that PSLF is here to stay. If you're in it, just make sure you're filing your employment certification forms. You're doing all the right stuff. Don't be swayed by the crazy headlines. Just like I don't want you to be swayed by the talking heads on CNBC talking about the XYZ stocks moving up and down. It's all just noise. Hopefully you don't get into the situation. All right. Well, hopefully this month was really helpful for you all and understand a little bit more about student debt. I want to give one more PSA just to make sure that is crystal clear because I do not want anyone to ever make this mistake is if you are going for PSLF or if you think you might go for PSLF, please do not refinance your loans. You cannot go backwards. It's like the opposite of monopoly. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is a bad one. Do not do this. But if you are absolutely certain that you are not going for PSLF and there's no chance that you would stay in this or you've already refinanced your loans, then maybe check your rate. You can go to financialresidency.com slash credible. And like I said, if you have over 100K in student debt, I'll hook you up with 750 bucks because you're a financial residency listener, which is pretty cool. All right, now as we round out our show, want to give one more big shout out to today's sponsor. Really appreciate them sponsoring the show, and that is Locum Story. So don't forget to visit Locum Story if you want to get real unbiased answers to all the Locum Tenants questions that you have. You can check them out by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash Locum Story. And again, the link is in the description of the podcast you're listening to in right now. All right, everyone. Well, hopefully you have a great week, and I will catch you guys on Friday. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.